I'm coming. I'm coming. I'm coming. I've made it. So, sorry about that, everyone. Hello. Um, my name is Matt, if we've not met before. It's really lovely to be here with you. Stand in the middle, stand still, don't wander. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be honest, I'm feeling pretty old right now. Uh, I've got my notes on my phone on a music stand uh, because I couldn't figure out how to airdrop them to an iPad. So um, I'm feeling quite old. And then also, my wife forced me to change my T-shirt when we got here because uh, she didn't like the one I was wearing. So, um, yeah, I feel like I've entered a new phase of life now. Um, so times are changing for me. But um, as Emily said, I'm here to bring us the third time. I'm out of breath from running up on stage. That's not a good sign. I'm, but I am here. I'm here. I've made it to the stage. Uh, and here to talk to you about the third part of our series, The Call, which is about the call of Jesus for all of us to follow him. Um, and uh, tonight we're looking at what I think is, is kind of like Jesus is like, advice to maximize your life the like the be the best version of yourself thing that Jesus has to bring and I think like yeah good job Jesus because you know we we really love this kind of stuff in our society at the moment we've gone like Apple Podcasts, it's like diary of a CEO mega leadership podcast I'm a gazillionaire and I'm really happy podcast and all this stuff and we love kind of just being the best versions of ourselves and attaching microphones properly to our faces, many things that we like doing. Um, and, but the thing is, uh, if I'm really honest, uh, I'm, I'm not sure how much that really works. That's not to say that there's not really great, uh, helpful information out there. Um, we love good quality leadership and all of these things, but um, I kind of feel like this is something we've, we've as humans always been after is like, how can we be a better? How can I have something? Just what's this one little trick that we've got? I was listening to someone say the other day, you know, we've been doing this since the creation story in Genesis, right? You've got Adam and Eve and they go, eat this one magic apple and you will have knowledge of good and evil. You'll have all this stuff. All you have to do is eat this apple and it's fine and nothing bad's going to happen. Um, and we've been looking for this one little trick of something to do. And clearly it's not worked right because I feel like if we, you know, if this was all working, if that was the answer, kind of the world's answer to how, how can I um, do the best thing with my life, I feel like we'd all just, we'd all be fluent in French, we'd all play the guitar, we'd all play the piano, we'd all floss every day, we'd have all these things, but um, uh, unless that's you, unless you do, you play the guitar, the piano, you floss every, wow, French, okay, well, all right, well, Kate Gennardo's completed humanity. Kate, why don't you just, you can just take some time out. Um, but even for you, Kate, this is the thing. This is the thing about what Jesus has to say. That actually, I think what Jesus has to say on this is, is among the most countercultural things he has to say in all of his teachings in the New Testament, and um, specifically for our context here in Bristol, in Western culture, in the modern day. Um, so let's, um, I just thought, why don't we just look at uh, some quotes from some people. So I dug up some quotes on like how to be successful from successful people. So let's have the first one up. So Stephen Bartlett said this, anytime you find yourself making life decisions to satisfy someone else's expectations, you're probably doing it for the wrong reasons. The least regrettable way to live is on your own terms, in your own way, and for your own cause. Okay, thank you, Stephen. You know, you're very wealthy. Good job. Uh, next one, please. This is from Denise Morrison, CEO of a big soup company. Uh, balance suggests a perfect equilibrium. There's no such thing. This is a false expectation. There are going to be priorities and dimensions of your life. How you integrate them is how you find true happiness. Not even totally sure what that means, uh, but sounds, you know, important, right? Leadershipy. Uh, next one. This is from Jackie Cantoni. Practice believing in you. Choose you. That's nice, isn't it? Sounds nice. I believe in you. 
Yeah, that's the wrong answer, isn't it? I'm meant to believe in me. Um, and then, of course, you know, in a similar vein, so Jesus of Nazareth says, uh, give up your life in order to take up an instrument of torture and execution. So let me just double check that one because that doesn't. Yeah, no, he says that. Okay, um, but it kind of goes to prove the point, right? Isn't, of course, that's not what he actually says. Apologies if you're new to church and all of this. What Jesus actually says is, anyone who wants to follow me has to, anyone wants to, be myself, has to take up their cross and follow me. And you kind of think, that, see, this seems like an odd way to be like your main thing of like, if you want to be like me, uh, die. Live a life of self-sacrifice. Um, and so I want to dig in in the next little uh, bit of time. It's going to be very nondescript with the amount of time I'm going to speak for. Hopefully not too long, though. Uh, um, and I want to dig into it. What did Jesus mean by that, and why did he say that? So I want to start with, actually, before we get to that teaching, um, a little passage just before that where Jesus is talking to some of his uh, closest disciples, um, and he's asking them, who do you say I am? So uh, it says this, we're in Matthew's gospel, Matthew's biography of Jesus' life. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, Anyway, imagine I said it right. Asked, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man, he's referring to himself there, is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked? Who, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Judah. Judah, Jonah, different people. Uh, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. So what, what has actually happened there? So firstly, uh, Peter has clearly maybe during this meeting or prior to that, had an experience of Jesus, has, uh, has been following him around for a little while, and has realized, actually, you're not just a nice prophet. You're not just a man of God. You're not a nice rabbi. You are actually God incarnate. You are Emmanuel, God with us, that God has come uh, and stepped down uh, from heaven uh, into human flesh and is now here with us um, to show us how to live life. Uh, and he's had that revelation. As a result of that, Jesus goes, yes, you've got it. And uh, what I love is he full names him. It's the Simon, son of, who's he son of? He's not Judah. Jonah, thank you very much. Simon, son of Jonah. So he's, you've got it. You've nailed it. You've got this right. And he, he, he kind of waxes lyrical about him, right? And I, I was just like imagining reading this. If like, I don't know, let's say Jesus was speaking here at Metro. And he asked a question. And I put my hand up. I said, oh, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And he went, yes, Matthew Levy Miles. Yes, you've got it. Well done. And he, he says, yeah, you've got it. You've understood who I am fully. And um, sorry, just having a little bit of trouble here. There's a tiny little bit of sellotape on my face. Let's hope it works. There we go. Um, and he says, you've got that right. And he gives him authority, a position of leadership. Uh, and, and, and from there, later on, it happens. You know, Peter is one of the key leaders of the church. Uh, and is the rock on which Jesus builds his church. Uh, and so he's got all this amazing stuff going for him. Um, and so uh, that's how that ends. Great. Nice. Peter's pretty puffed up now, right? Can you imagine how you'd feel if you'd just been bigged up by Jesus like that? And then a little bit later, 
Uh, Jesus is teaching again, so we'll go to the next passage. So from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter, same Peter from before, took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. And flip me, that is a very big turn from you're the rock on which I will build my church, being full named by Jesus, to get behind me, Satan. And uh, I, I kind of wonder, what, what has actually happened there? The key question for all of us, I think, as it was for Peter there, is who do you say I am? Who do we think Jesus is? And a lot of people in our culture today maybe will be kind of nominal Christians. They'll kind of say, oh, yeah, I guess I'm a Christian. I went to a C of E primary school or my grandparents were Christians or whatever it is. And yeah, Jesus was a, a nice guy. I think he was a really good teacher, you know, maybe the best moral teacher there's ever been. Uh, and I kind of leave it at that. And, and kind of there's not that fullness of what Peter said. You are um, the Messiah, the one we've waited for, the, the one who is God incarnate. But probably more likely for a lot of us here who maybe uh, like me, you've been saying, you know, I follow Jesus for quite a while now uh, um, and you, you can't figure out how to airdrop things onto an iPad. That's how long you've been following Jesus for. Um, and, and you kind of, uh, we, we get, we've had that experience of Jesus, right? Where we go, you're the Messiah. And we've had that understanding. We've had that fullness of, yes, you are God. But equally, um, like Peter, sometimes we have little moments where what's happened is Jesus actually hasn't met Peter's expectations of what he wants. So to give this a little bit of context, Peter is a Jewish man living under the oppression of the Roman Empire. Uh, and they are desperate, the Jewish people at this time in history, for a Messiah, a savior, the chosen one, to be sent by God to liberate them from Roman oppression. So who will come and will fight the Romans and will lead them into battle and they will win uh, and bring God's kingdom on earth that way. But unfortunately for Peter, or probably fortunately in the big picture, that's not what Jesus is there to do. And Jesus says, um, uh, you don't have, uh, you have your own concerns in mind, essentially, uh, not the concerns of God. Uh, Peter thinks that Jesus is going to do things his way to meet his concerns. And, and sometimes I think for myself, I need to ask myself that question. What is it that I want Jesus to be like? Uh, what is it that I'm looking for from him that isn't necessarily actually his way for my life? And I think often the times we're most disappointed with God or have the most frustrations is when we've actually made God in our image. We've said, God is like this or like that, or he's going to do this for me, when actually that's not necessarily what he said. I worry sometimes that um, the way we see faith, uh, and, and I kind of see a lot of these you know, really, really fantastic programs and things like things that get us excited about reading the Bible or praying, all these things. I think, oh, th that's great. And we see these, uh, often there'll be like an advert for it. And in my head, it's like some super swanky investment bankers listening to the Bible um, on his headphones, on the tube, on the way to work to make loads of money. And it fits in with his life. And it's, oh, he's listening to the Bible, but it's cool. Um, and I think it's this thing. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I want to be like that. I want to be the, listen to the Bible on the tube and being like this successful looking person. And actually, in reality, a lot of the time following Jesus is much more boring and much less sexy than that. Um, and that we've kind of, We've kind of got it a bit wrong and we've got excited about the wrong bits 
Um, so what does it look like to follow Jesus? That is the next question. So at this point, this is where Jesus um, begins to kind of give us that advice about taking up our cross. So it says this, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever there loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or who can uh, anyone give in exchange, or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Following Jesus is not easy, and it does cost something. Uh, and in every decision we have to ask, am I doing this Jesus' way? And am I more concerned with what people think or with what God thinks? Now, for me personally, uh, that's been a real challenge for me over the last year. So uh, I started work in a, a really big organization, kind of tens of thousands of people work for this organization. And as a result of that, I meet loads and loads of people all the time. So uh, quite often having the kind of very small talky conversation, oh, so when you work in that division, oh, and what do you do when you're not at work? What are you interested in? And um, kind of at first I was like, yeah, I'm part of a church. I follow Jesus and I'd be quite upfront about it. And then more and more have felt more self-conscious about that and felt a bit more awkward about, it's not even really sharing my faith, just stating that I am a Christian. And, and I've had this fear that, you know, people are going to make false assumptions about me. Uh, people are going to judge me. And actually, it, it, it has happened. I, uh, instance, I remember a little while back, I was at the pub with some friends and I was speaking about how one of our other colleagues had spoken about their faith and said, you know what, I really admire how that person spoke about their faith because... I found it a bit difficult because I, I worry that people are going to make assumptions about me or judge me. And one of the guys I was with at the pub just said, yes, I assume you're homophobic. And, um, uh, but he was kind of deadly serious. And um, to be really clear, I, I definitely don't want to sound like playing a victim card here or anything. Um, there are tons of gay people who have really horrible experiences of the church. And so I totally understand why people would have that assumption. Um, equally, it doesn't make it any less painful when people make that assumption falsely. And that's what I've kind of had to learn to accept is that actually, yeah, people are going to potentially have false assumptions about you if you're following Jesus. Um, and the reality is I know that because that happened to Jesus. Uh, Jesus was the only person to have ever walked this earth blamelessly. And yet people accused him of being a drunk and a, uh, a drunk and a glutton. He hung out with sex workers and people of serious ill repute. You can only imagine the kind of rumors that people were talking about about him behind his back. So if that happens to Jesus, and um, the reality is of following Jesus, probably some of that stuff's going to happen to me as well. And so sometimes I find, I don't know about you, maybe it's just me, but I, I start making these little excuses where it's kind of like, maybe I'm just one example. I'm out for drinks with some friends and I've had a couple of drinks. And I'm thinking, this is probably where I need to stop, but oh, everyone else is carrying on and I look a bit weird if I don't have another pint or stay a little bit longer, whatever it might be. And it, it kind of maybe your thought process is, well, it doesn't say in the Bible how many pints I'm allowed to have, does it? And you kind of, I kind of string it along and string it along. And, you know, uh, maybe you'll have too much to drink or just feel like, oh, that, I didn't quite get that right or something. And kind of all along ignoring the fact that actually I know really clear that the Bible says don't get drunk on wine, but instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. And no, that's not an excuse to get drunk on beer instead but a pretty clear command if we're honest with ourselves about how we should live in that aspect of our lives. I wonder um, what that might be for some of us, some others of us, whether that's in um, how we act at work, how we act in friendship relationships, romantic relationships, I don't know, but 
perhaps something to think about. And I think the danger with that potentially as well, that we close ourselves off from challenge to it. When we, have, when we kind of make out in our heads, oh, it's just this little tiny thing, it's nothing, it's a technicality. And we kind of shut it away and go, well, I don't need to be challenged on this because it's something small. And actually for all of us, if we're gonna follow Jesus, we need to be open to that. Now, I can, I can, I can hear what you're saying. I can read your minds right now. Um, I'm sorry, I'll, I'll switch it off after the talk, don't worry. Um, but I can hear you, you're saying, right, I came here thinking that following Jesus was gonna be a nice thing. And you've kind of told me, oh, you need to think about what you're doing. You need to do this and that. And kind of, uh, am I saying that uh, if you follow Jesus, you should seek out a horrible life? Absolutely not. That's not what I'm saying at all. Um, and, and it's kind of, well, should I, are you saying I should be like some sort of Pharisee figure? Now, if you're new to church or you're unaware, the Pharisees were this conservative religious group in Jesus's day that in the New Testament, Jesus spends a lot of time criticizing them, challenging them, saying, uh, you're really hot on following the rules, but not necessarily on the spirit of the rules. And so quite often in, in churchy circles, we, if someone's a bit kind of sanctimonious or something like that, we, oh, what a Pharisee, eh? Um, and we kind of, we kind of it, it's a little bit dangerous, right? And we treat these things as, as, as mutually exclusive. You can either um, believe Jesus when he says this. So Jesus says uh, uh, in, in an earlier part of uh, Matthew's gospel, he says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And it can kind of feel like, right, hang on a minute. Are these two things you're telling me contradictory? Because how can it be that we have this... Um, this really kind of heavy seeming cross, this idea that we've got to take up this cross of self-sacrifice. Of, for Jesus, it was literal death. And for many of the disciples, Peter included, it was, uh, was death, crucifixion even, in the most torturous way imaginable. Um, yet Jesus is saying, actually, this is a light, easy thing. How can those two coexist? And actually, I think they do. And this is part of the reality of the Christian life is that it's not that one thing is true over the other. It's that they're both fully true at the same time. That Jesus' burden uh, is light, his yoke is easy. But equally, what we're called to as we follow Jesus is really challenging and difficult. Um, Francis Chan, one speaker and writer, says that, you know, the Holy Spirit is called the comforter. Why would we need a comforter if life was meant to be comfortable? Now, I think what we can get stuck in on that is kind of this easy burden versus heavy cross thing. And we can get a bit into, if we're not careful, this idea of, well, the burden's easy. So look, it doesn't matter what I do. It's all about Jesus and what he's done. And that's, in, that's entirely true. Please let me be really clear. Um, our faith, our salvation depends entirely on what Jesus has done and his, our faith in him uh, because of what he did on the cross. So in that sense, that's totally true, right? But it's not the fullness of following Jesus, is it? Because um, we, we talk about this Pharisee stuff, right? And we say, oh, you know, don't want to be a Pharisee, don't want to be a Pharisee. Um, but in reality, now there's some scholarly debate about this, but a lot of people think that Jesus actually was a Pharisee. He was one of the Pharisees. So either that or he was so close to the Pharisees um, that he was kind of a Pharisee adjacent religious kind of um, a theological strand. So probably if he's criticizing the Pharisees, it's because he's either one of them or very near to them. And so the person that we're following is the person who followed God's commands the most of anyone that's ever lived. And so for us to say, oh, I'm, I'm about relation, relationship, uh, you know, not rules, um, relationship, not religion. 
Well, actually, what you've just described there is a religion, but um, uh, that's another point. Uh, is actually, well, you're still not doing the Jesus thing right. And again, before this sounds heavy, like I'm saying, right, read through, go home tonight, open your Bibles, and find all the things you've done wrong, okay? I uh, Find 10 rules that you've messed up. No, 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 not that at all. I want to give you what I think is a really fantastic example of what it looks like to follow God's commands for our lives, okay? So I was talking to a friend of mine at a different church, and they've had a whole bunch of, of men come to faith recently from an addiction recovery group. Uh, and a lot of these guys were totally unchurched, never really been part of church or anything like that before. So they found faith, and they're like, right, we're going to read the Bible. We're going to read uh, the Gospels, the biographies of Jesus' life. Uh, and so they, they read that, and they saw Jesus' example, and they said, right, what we're going to do is go out and feed homeless people, uh, people who are rough sleeping. That's what Jesus did. That was, that's what he told us to do, was to serve people in need. So they literally just went out on the streets. They're like, right, here's loads of food. Um, and after a while, they realized, actually, in a city like Bristol, giving out food to people who are rough sleeping isn't the most helpful thing to do, because we already have um, tons of resource for that. You can get three square meals a day. Um, every day of the week, uh, somewhere in Bristol, there's lots of amazing a agencies working with rough sleepers like the Wild Goose Cafe, um, um, who we support and work with here. So they thought, okay, well, what is helpful? And they look at Jesus' example, right? And they go, okay, well, Jesus came alongside people and he loved them. Uh, so they've now developed this network of relationship with about 40 different rough sleepers around the city who they know by name. They love them, they care for them, they check in on them uh, and what their needs are. And I think that's it. You've got it. And if I'm honest, and this is just one example, but I really do think if I, as a Christian, if I don't know the names of people who sleep rough near me, if I'm not in, in some degree of relationship with them, I don't think I'm doing the Jesus thing fully. And I, I appreciate that that might be quite challenging, but I think we have to because it's a hard, hard, difficult thing to follow Jesus. And that's just one example. But the reality is, and I'm going to get to another positive bit in a minute, okay? We'll, we'll, let's stay with me. The reality is that following Jesus is difficult. There is a cost to it. And if you follow Jesus, there might come a point where because of your relationship with Jesus, you don't get as far in your career as you'd like. There might be a point uh, in your life where you don't earn as much money or have as much money as you would like because of that. There might come a time when your friends um, judge you or think that they're judging them, that you're judging them because you've stopped engaging in gossip. They might think, that you're a bit weird because you drink a lot less now or don't have the same relationship with drugs and things like that. There, there is a cost to this. But I want to be really clear as well. The cost comes with a reward. And there is a joy set before. So this is what um, Jesus says next. If we could just skip ahead. The next reading. We'll get there. Hey, thank you very much. So uh, Jesus says, for, this is after he said all this stuff about taking up the cross, for the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he'll reward each person according to what they have done. Right, the reality is, I don't know exactly what it's going to look like when Jesus comes again, when the kingdom of God is upon the earth, uh, when there's a new heaven and a new earth, and everything is, is as it's meant to be and every tear is wiped from every cheek. I don't know what it's going to be like. And I don't think that every time um, I do something self-sacrificial or like Jesus would, that I'm adding another gold coin into a big pile in the sky somewhere. I, I don't think that's quite how it works. But I do know Jesus. 
and I trust him. And I trust that when he says that there's a reward that comes for this, there is good things to come from our self-sacrifice. I trust him and I, I believe him. When he asks us to self-sacrifice, to lay our lives down, he's not asking us to do it for nothing. He promises something good in return. And so we have that to look forward to in the life ahead. And also, the more I know and trust and love Jesus, I actually realize there's loads of good things that come in this life as well from sacrificing uh, uh, in order to follow Jesus. You know, I realized actually sometimes, for one example, with giving money, it's not that God wants to keep us from having money. It's God wants to keep us from being controlled by money. Uh, with things like my relationship to things like alcohol or to sex or drugs, whatever it is, recreational drugs, it's not that God doesn't want me to have a good time. It's that he wants to care for me and that he knows what's best. You know, as I've kind of over the years reassessed my relationship with alcohol, and it's not that I've ever had um, personally any major problems, um, but actually the more I, I cut back and realize, actually, this is just really good for me and to be much more aware of what I'm putting in my body and how I treat myself. There are good things to come in the next world and in this one's. And I, I, I want more and more to see um, the things that are, are kind of difficult in my walk with Jesus, to see them as opportunities. You know, I, I, I hope that more and more as I walk with Jesus, that my colleagues perhaps making assumptions about me because of my faith or thinking I'm a bit weird isn't something to be downhearted about, but it's an opportunity to show them that actually there's a God who loves absolutely everyone without any conditions, uh, no matter what some people who purport to be Christians might say. It's an opportunity to be a person in their life that shows them God's love. It's an opportunity to stand out and be different in a work environment that can at times be toxic, overly critical, um, and generally just a difficult place to be at times. It's an opportunity. But having said all that, I don't want to uh, kind of say, and so it's easy, right? If you really love Jesus, this is just fine. It's a slog. It was a slog for Jesus at times. It was a slog for the disciples. As I said, a lot of, most of them died for this, literally. And it's actually one of the main reasons that the early church grew so fast uh, and so big. It's because so many people were willing to lay their lives down for this. But there is a reward to come. And I wanted to just um, finish up. It's kind of slightly off topic. Um, but by skipping ahead slightly in the New Testament, in Jesus' own story, what did it look like for Jesus when he had to literally take up his cross? So Jesus, um, the night before he's betrayed, is um, praying to God and essentially asks, does this have to happen? So he says this, uh, going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. And so there's two things you see there. Firstly, Jesus' Jesus's example of self-sacrifice, suffering and serving others isn't, woohoo, crucifixion tomorrow, baby. Oh yeah. It's, it's saying to his father, saying to our father, to God, if it's possible, can this not happen? Like, if there's any way we can not do this, that, that would be amazing. But, and here's the second thing, but I know that what you say is going to be what's best. I know that my father knows what's best for me. I know that what I want is to serve God 
is to live for his glory, to die, and eventually to be resurrected and bring hope for all of us. So I wonder if that is the prayer for us tonight. I don't know. I'm not going to just reel off a long list of things that some of us might struggle with. Um, I just want to talk about my own experiences, and I guess um, you can join the dots for you, whatever that looks like, um, wherever you're at in your journey with faith. Um, But I know there's areas for me, like I said, in my work, or actually I need to just go, do you know what, God? If it's possible, may this cup be taken from me yet. You know, if it's possible, I'd love it if my colleagues didn't think I was a flipping weirdo for being a Christian. If it's possible, I'd love it if it wasn't super awkward every weekend roundup. So what did you do this weekend? I was speaking at church, actually. Oh, what were you speaking about? Um, And for people to think I'm a total weirdo. I'd love it if that didn't happen, but not what I want, but what you want, God, and what's going to bring you glory. Um, So um, if you're able, would you stand with me? Um, And I wonder if, um, just in a moment, if we could read that out together out loud, that from the quotes from where it starts, my father, if it is possible. But um, so in just a moment, we'll we'll do that. And then we'll take a moment of silence, if that's okay with everyone. Um, And just take that as a moment to kind of just like meditate, just to think, do you know what, Lord, where is it that I'm saying, not my will, but yours? Lord, I need a little bit of help with laying this down. I'm, I'm finding it a bit tough, but I know I want to do this because I do want to follow you. And I've counted up the cost and you're worth it because I know there's a reward to come. So um, let's read that together. My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet, not as I will, but as you will.